Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a classical podcast. Well, it's a podcast about, about classical things rather than a classical podcast. What would a classical I podcast be? Uh, would it be about... One of the like ones that's been around for a long time. What's yeah, the, for the first know, podcast? It's like where you throw peas at people. You're, oh, cla- like a classic podcast. Oh, you're casting pods. Oh, so I think it's just like sowing your fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the original exactly. podcast? Yeah. Yep. The original well podcasting. podcasting. So farming is, is the right. uh, classical podcast. Is the original yeah. Good. podcast. All right. So anyway, this is a podcast about classical things. We delve into the classical world. So ancient literature, books, philosophy, theology, art, architecture, which we've done less of up until this point, but we're planning to get into some point. Uh, and we just want to help bring laymen into the classical world and tell the story of Western culture, I guess. Uh, with me, I have two gentlemen, one Graham Donaldson. Hi. And Thomas Magby. Hello. And we're all educators at a classical Christian school in Austin, Texas. My name is AJ Hannenberg. I teach ninth and 12th grade. Graham teaches 10th and 12th. And Thomas is the Dean of Fun. Yep. Yeah. That is my official title. I wish that were my official title, Dean of Student Life. And I teach uh, leadership at Veritas as well. Yep. So every week uh, we walk you through some topics and today Thomas has some stuff for us. So Thomas. All right. So um, guys, there's something you all don't know about me and this is moderately embarrassing. Are you ready for this? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess. How could I not be? That's, <laughs> with a, that's like with the best intro like ever. Um, so I'm 29 years old. Uh, it's embarrassing. Ooh, yeah, it's when's embarrassing. the birthday? I know. Uh, I forget. May 25th. So many moons ago, um, I used to um, really be into a genre of fiction. Uh, I, I th- This genre never really made much sense like as a, as a grouping, but uh, the genre young adult fiction, is this uh, a genre that you all have heard of before? Oh, yeah. My judgment Twilight? of this mm, bless you. Uh, hinges on how many moons we're talking. How many moons? Yeah, oh, how long ago? How many moons Great. ago? Because if it was like three moons ago, I'd be like, oh, grown man reading no, young adult. This is, we're going to come back to this later. Hey, uh, but I'm willing to bet you've read Narnia within the past Ooh. 10 years. Is everything is going to come together. Graham, is that not young adult fiction? Kids, no, it's, it's children's fiction. Oh. So that's even, that's better? That's yes, okay? It is better. I would You're say that to, they are... I will defend this later. <laughs> <laughs> because this will come back. Um, actually, Chronicles will be like a perfect thing for us to um, end with, I guess. So no, so after college, um, one of my first jobs was working for an engineering company in Austin. And um, I wanted my manager to like me. And my manager um, ran this blog where she would read and review young adult fiction. And so... Uh, in an attempt to get in the good graces of this boss, I also picked up her recommendations and would be and would read those books. And my my this is not I'm gonna my brief claim to fame is that I read um, the Hunger Games the entire so I read the first two books of the Hunger Games before the third book came out, which you know so I was really ahead of the curve, but also before any of the movies were announced, any of those things. How impressed are you all right now? You are zero. I would take zero. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, great. yeah, that seems, yeah. That seems like a, the approximate level. Anyway, so for uh, a couple of years, um, was really in, was really um, you know following the genre um, because I wanted my manager to like me. Uh, but then got a new job and never read those books again. Um, but I'm curious if this is I don't know. You all work with high schoolers and young adult um, kind of targets the the demographic that we we teach. Uh, is this I don't know. Do you all have thoughts on the genre? It's one that I always feel like is over marketed. It's like a book that's been created by people at a round table who are trying to think of how to market and sell future things. Yeah. That, that's how I've always sort of thought about it is that it is, it is the product of like a marketing 
meeting. Mm -hmm. So we're talking like Harry Potter, Animorphs. Oh, man, I used to love Animorphs. I, I read Animorphs. I like Goosebumps, school. or can you like Bad Star Wars fiction, like, like the X Wing series? Yeah. Uh, or are we talking about yeah, like Hunger Games? Is that so? Hunger Games is is the example I was thinking of coming into this. Um, there's one called I think Graceling is the first one, and uh, I forget what the sequel is. Um, um, seeking a last is, or seeking isn't Divergent. Divergent would be a perfect kind of example. Maze mm -hmm. Runner would be another example. Oh, all my students right. know Greek gods from some old. Oh, um, um, uh, uh, Percy Jackson. Percy I would Jack say that's, chi that's children's. Is it more than it is? I mean, my yeah, like you can start those at seven to eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so thoughts on it? I yeah, I've read some of those. Like I read the entire Hunger Games series, and while I wouldn't classify it as classical literature that'll stand the test of the ages, it was great for like a weekend at the beach like if you want to just have something entertaining to read it's it's great and some of the some of the things they do in those is like really basic moral lessons that i'm not going to fight with like on second and third readings it's not going to yield much more than it did the first time but that's not what you go there for it's just like with uh with certain movies right like a heist mm -hmm. flick it's hard to watch it the second time because yeah. you know how the heist is going down yeah. or yeah even some action films they one time is enough Right, and that you came and you had a great time. It's not a bad film, but it, you're, it's not, you know, Dead Poets Society. Yeah, as long ugh. as long as the characters <laughs> have, wait, that's uh, a bad movie. Bad movie. Oh, okay. as long as the characters have you know clear motivations and it's kind of entertaining and and the story moves along. I mean, I could see how I, as a teenager, would have loved some of the books that are out now or have, were out when I was in my twenties that I didn't really read, but I would I could understand that sixteen year old Donaldson would have been all over that. Yeah, yeah. sure. And I read some stuff when I was young that isn't like, won't have changed my life, but it was great. I learned a few things. I learned to be nice to friends and it's great. Yeah. So I like that. Um, uh, in using the, so you all are asking for a def definition, which of course, why would I want to provide that? Um, when you all hear, so like young adult fiction as a genre, uh, what are some elements that would go into that? What are of the books that, that come to mind when you think of that kind of what describes? Them? So if we were going to write our own, yeah. How well, you we... said it's it's, just, it's uh, put together by committee, and so we're three people. Ooh, uh, so committee. you need a teenage protagonist, teenage protagonist, male or female, take your or pick. teenage or like I don't know, maybe a little bit younger, sure, or maybe a little bit older, so you can kind of like mm -hmm. look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say within a range of like eighteen to twelve as a protagonist. Okay. That's just kind of throw, yeah. I'm just going to stick yep. some numbers sure. on it. Which is probably, I mean, that's the range that the um, genre is going for that it wants to sell to, right? Exactly. Um, so some 18 sort of 12, dystopian future. Dysto okay, that's uh, that's popular. Or, or some like big problem that needs to fix, mm -hmm. right? So if it's in a fantasy land, you've got like an evil king or a queen or some sort of dynasty that's horrible and tyrannical. And for some reason, the main character is special. Hmm. Yes, the main character is the chosen one, is yeah. special, has been prophesied, that kind of thing. So that you can feel like a unique flower while you read it. Mm -hmm. And then usually there's some sort of love interest. And in, in many of them, there's uh, it's it's sort of a cheap bid for involvement, but it's a it's yeah. a dual love interest, right? Hunger Games has it where she has to choose between Peta and Gale? Gale. Yeah. Gale. Peta and Gale. And then the, uh, you know, Twilight has it with the werewolf and the vampire, the sparkly one and the hot yep. one. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so, so it's an easy way to kind of keep suspense uh -huh. and have two sort of, but, love interest characters that you can be interested in and then they can resolve that at the very end and it's fine. But the part that I appreciate you all are pointing to that is that there's some element of the magical, the mystical. There's some, um, yeah, there's something that's like beyond the ordinary that's a part of these stories. Would you all agree with that? Yes. And and I think older books, um, 
older young adult fiction had it where maybe they were just a regular kid in the regular world and then somehow they get transported to this crazy world mm-hmm. and then it turns out that they are the last starfighter or they are the <laughs> that's a great movie I love that is movie. it a good movie it is i've not, had a recommended not but, a great movie oh. but it's or even in narnia like you're the you're the king the yeah. kings and queens yeah. of adam yeah. like um harry you're the chosen you're a wizard um yeah, so there, so there's well, some how is sort Katniss of, special? It's just that she volunteers she can shoot for tribute. A bow really well. Mm. Oh yeah, so. and she she uh, gets outside of the colony. She's mm-hmm. not your regular person. She yeah. goes outside to hunt. She's yeah. like a Mary Sue, right? She can just do it, do everything pretty well. Yeah, it's from the Star Trek. Uh, is that what Mary Sue comes from? Mary, it's just a. I, it's usually a derisive term for a character oh. that doesn't can just can do anything. Like, can sort of do every, yeah, yeah, doesn't really have any flaws and can, and can do everything. I guess that probably describes. She doesn't. I don't think she, no major. Yeah, no major flaws. I guess she's. She doesn't want to do stuff. She's kind of lazy. That's yeah. true. Katniss is like, I don't, I don't want to be the focus of the revolution. But she had like good reasons for it anyway. Yeah. Uh, if we were at other elements, there needs to be some sort of thing that is a thinly veiled reference to th- something that most teenagers go through. So like okay. a test that will determine the rest of your life. That is definitely not, <laughs> not the not SAT. The, the big dance. <laughs> yeah. That's or good. or like all the parent all the people who are adult age are kind of dumb and don't that's, understand what's really going on. Oh, that's I love those. <laughs> yeah. Oh that's man, what, and yeah. all they're all duped a little bit. Or like you're the only one that realizes what life is really about, and everyone else is a zombie. They're all phonies. Yeah, but, oh. that's, but that's actually the message to the reader. Like they're the one who's real, and everything else. Is, yeah, mm, man, yeah. this makes me hate this genre even more. Yeah, but, but, but when you read that, it, it makes you feel it makes like special. You, yeah. you're the special one. And no one realizes it. Yeah. And then you can go swimming because you're at the beach. It's great. Oh, because you're reading the book at the beach. Because you're reading oh, the book at the beach. Um, so we, let's, let's continue. We're going to track this idea. Uh, we'll be walking through uh, an essay by Tolkien called On Fairy Stories, which I don't think is a great title, but we'll probably start there. Uh, so I think there's something that is tapped into with this genre that I think is um, poorly served by the genre broadly. And Graham, you kind of got at it with the age thing because you probably would judge someone who was older than 12 to 18 or much older than 12 to 18, like reveling in these books. But reveling, yeah, not necessarily reading. Yeah, sure. Um, when I first started teaching at Veritas, I had never read any of the Harry Potter books. And I read, and by that time, the series had was completely done. And I read all of them yeah. in like a trimester just to read them. And man, they got long. Yes. Those, those last ones, like <laughs> Harry Potter and the End of Trees. Yeah. Like, uh, Harry Potter. Oh, so the name pages. of the book, Harry Potter and the End of Trees? I don't think. That doesn't sound <laughs> so right. Printing. Yeah. Just all, oh, the, all the pages. Yeah. That was a good joke. I, um, I'm over here giggling. I can't. Uh, anyway, so, but, but we just, uh, but reveling is, di- yeah, if someone really reveled in and were like, this is like the, the height only, of, of art. Yeah. Or the only thing that they read is young adult fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Which, so typically that would, that would make me think that there's an element of escapism that they need. <sighs> They need some sort of escape from reality or to feel that they're special. Let, yes. Um, let, so let's dive in. So if that was the only thing they reveled in or reveled in that more than yeah. like that was their big escape. Um, we will come escapism is one of the things we'll come back to at the very end. Also, I, I, I wish, um, I don't know how you all always do this of knowing exactly where we're going. It's like, you've read these things before. Uh, I asked this before the podcast, but for the listeners, have you all read this essay before on fairy stories? Long, long time ago. So I think maybe a long time ago, we had a student do a thesis on it. What? Six years ago? Really? Seven years ago? Harry Potter. On, uh, um, I think they used Tolkien in their argument. I can't remember, but I have, yeah, it was a long time since I've read it. Yeah. And I, and I always get it confused with Chesterton's very similar essay on Fairyland or something like that. Um, which 
even more frustratingly, Tolkien will bring into this essay. So yeah. there's kind of a it's a thin line between the two. But let's we'll, we'll just start with the the title of it on fairy stories. When you hear that, what is the what comes to mind? What do you think he's talking about in this essay? Stories of fantasy where the main character enters enters a new world, or typically something like that. Well, that's just because I have a little bit of background on what the word fairy means to both Lewis and Tolkien. Do, what, do you, what do you think 80% of people listening are thinking when he says on fairy stories? Oh, Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell right? Yeah. Like a story mm-hmm. about Tinkerbell showing up and does some kind of crazy hijinks. I don't know what Tinkerbell does, mm-hmm. but right, like that was the, my understanding coming to it. So the fairies, and I learned about this from reading Lewis's book, The Discarded Image. There's a few different kinds of them. Some of them are really evil and demonic. Some of them are like high elves. Some of them are lower elves. You meet high elves in... Tolkien's books with Elrond and the High Council. You meet low elves in The Hobbit, where they're just sort of dancing in the forest. Uh, And then they're sort of like the demons that'll carry you off. There's all kinds of different fairies, but they are all under that grand category of fairy. Yeah. They inhabit the world that is not, that is either hidden or not easily perceptible. In the Middle Ages, they were fallen angels that weren't that bad. So God let them have dominion in, in nature. And then different. Writers. I think there were a few different reasons for yeah. why they were there. It um, wasn't just angels. It was. But they sort of they do fit into the the classical sort of medieval worldview. They it wasn't that it was a magical world on another dimension. It was that they existed, but you you just rarely ever saw them. Yeah. And every once in a while they would break through to our world to either play tricks on us or to keep us humble or to like spill our soup in our laps. <laughs> Well, that was usually like low elves or the mischievous. Mm-hmm. The high elves would meet for big doings in the world or sometimes for romantic trysts. Mm-hmm. That was just sort of their thing. Yep, exactly. And so so Tolkien is using this broader definition of fairy, not just talking about the, you know, the short little creatures. He has his, his opening is to talk about how that usage of fairy to mean something like Tinkerbell is a very modern usage of it. And that the first usage of the term fairy uh, is it looks like um, Canterbury Tales. So is that Middle English? What's that called? Yeah, I mean, so it, it, it's, in, it's it's one of those. Yeah. And the lady who wrote us that I email was going to say what I thought it was, and then I remember that we get emails about these things, <laughs> which makes us better. Yeah, so, I don't know. I don't know which early um, modern. I think is yeah. uh, no mid modern. <laughs> <laughs> Middle English, not one of them. Um, but so the first reference to fairy is from. It looks like it's from that period, but the the term is of fairy is where the, it comes from. So fairy is this reference to. Uh, not a creature, but a realm, mm. a, a, a space. And so that's kind of what you're getting at of these mischievous creatures are, uh, so they might be doing something on earth, but they come from somewhere else, right? Isn't yeah. that, so in the case, if they were a fallen angel, it'd be heaven that they come from, but they come from somewhere that's not, not earth. Uh, so they add, um, they bring magic, uh, they bring mischief. Um, those are common things that they do. But even in Tolkien talking about fairy, he's not talking about any specific creature, uh, he says that a fairy story is one is um, stories about fairy, and he, he capitalizes it so as to say it's a location that is the realm or state in which fairies have their being. So again, a fairy story is not uh, does not even necessarily have to have um, the, these beings that y'all are talking about. It's just anything that is involving um, the realm or state in which fairies have their being. Um, he says later, a fairy story is one which touches on or uses fairy, whatever its own main purpose may be, satire, adventure, morality, or fantasy. So there are lots of different, um, I guess, genre that touch fairy. So fairy story would include many different things. Um, j- stopping there, I get basically anything that involves magic, I think, is, an, is one way of thinking about it. Um, he includes in this list King Arthur. So I wanted to start there. Is that, is King Arthur seem like 
would you call that a fairy story? Does that seem like a reasonable inclusion? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, from the old, uh, from the old uh, uh, medieval King Arthur for sure. Yep. So, listener, if you can hear way in the distance. There's a dog trying to get back into the house, and he's fiddling with the doorknob. So if you hear that, <laughs> there's a dog that really wants to come inside. Uh, but I was going to say about... And if the podcast goes eerily silent, <laughs> yeah, he's he back The dog made it in. <laughs> no! Uh, yeah, King Arthur has some crazy stuff in it. Like, yeah. did you know how Merlin dies? No. So Merlin really liked one of the... I think she was a, a mistress of the Lady of the Lake. Like, mm-hmm. she was one of the handmaids. And Merlin wouldn't stink and leave her alone. And she's like, Merlin, no, I don't like you. And he's like, but it's going to happen, isn't it? And so finally, she pretty much locked him in a tower and only she could let him out. And he died there. So basically, he was a stalker so much that the girl put him in a tower. <laughs> that That's how away. Merlin kicked it. That's messed up. Yeah. So there's there's magic all, all sort of all through that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of changes the way you think about Merlin. Merlin was not He's that cool of a dude, at least in the old stories. Yeah. He's not Disney Merlin. <coughs> no. Uh, so a broad definition of fairy stories, the way I kept thinking of it throughout the story is essentially anything that involves magic. Uh, so Arthur is one example he points to. He references Sir, Gu- Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, but I've not read that. Is- the, the going, because the idea being that the Green Knight itself was a fairy or he gets mm. helped by fairies because he has this neat trick where he can get his head chopped off and nothing bad happens. That's pretty cool. But then he also uh, eventually will bring in Beowulf and say that Beowulf is an example also of sure. the fairy story. And then... Because he can like bench press 12 oxen. He can swim in Scandinavia in the winter yep. with chainmail for like hundreds of miles while fighting sea beasts. It makes sense. And then I think in the broadest sense, we'll bring in uh, Greek mythology to say that uh, all of Greek mythology is in a sense a fairy story. So a story of, um, yeah... Um, uh, of magic, of... of um, the gods. The, yes, but lower G gods, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. would be the... Um, so I don't, so it's, it's a very broad definition that he's using here. Is there any pushback there? Does that seem like the right definition? Um, I'm cool with it. Yeah. It just seems like, I don't know, to bring in all things... It almost comes to all things which can't happen in real life. Is that Maybe he broad? just means like fantasy stories. Yes, so fan- fantasy is a piece of it. Um, he'll say fantasy is a genre. Um, yeah. He has these weird things where he says don't count as fantasy, but essentially, so he says that um, stories about beasts don't count as fantasy stories. So like Redwall, if you were into those, I liked Redwall. Did y'all read those? I did. Okay, bless you. Nah. You're missing out. Or um, what, Watership Down is one I'm reading right now. Oh, Watership Down is great. It's really good. I'm, yeah. I did not expect to enjoy or it Or like so Frankenstein, like early science fiction. Sure. Well, he, will, he wants to separate science fiction mm-hmm. from fairy story, but I think he... he he will later talk about like a specific kind of science fiction, which is like, it just goes on about all the gadgets that are going to exist in the future. But I think of something like star Wars, like star Wars kind of has to be a fairy story. It's the Jedi yes. and there's aliens and at least because of the force. Uh, so yeah, I think the force kind of tips the scales on that one. Yeah. Can we chat about watership down really fast? Uh, just sure, for the yeah. listeners, we mentioned it and we didn't say anything about it. Go for it. The watership down is kind of an, I don't know if it's a strict Epic, but it's a tale about some rabbits who one of them has a prophecy and he realizes that the colony is going to be destroyed. And so he warns his friends and they get out of there. And then the rabbits, it's the its the story of their journey to found a new colony and all of the horrible things they kind of meet along the way. And that sounds kind of silly and like maybe it should have just been a story about people. But the author does a really good job of sort of maintaining rabbitness, right. which it's, is such a weird concept. But they don't go very fast because right. rabbits are really bad at sort of going in a one direction and not getting sidetracked by plants or just hopping around 
And then they can't count past, I think it's like four. <laughs> exactly. They say one, two, three, four, thousands. Like it's just after anything after four is a thousand things. And they, also, it, they have this part where they, um, they're trying to carry carrots and they can't do it. And it's like, oh yeah, they're rabbits. And so like in this image of these rabbits trying to drag carrots, it's really funny. It's, it's really adorable. And then yeah. they go to one colony where the rabbits have sort of taken up art and they've made these murals on the wall. And the main character rabbits are like, what in the world? What is that? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. And they, they kind of revolt against the art on the wall just because it's so foreign and it doesn't make any sense and it's it's really an entertaining book and it's a pretty easy read yeah i've never read it i recommend it it's on the bingo card this summer graham are you not i don't do the summer bingo you don't pick all of your books based on what's on the bingo card. i usually have picked all the books i want to read in the summer months before the summer bingo card comes out well i lack planning and (laughs) i guess i just read those uh if you so listener veritas puts out for the faculty there's this or and the students, there's a summer bingo card of up to 25 books that we can read. It includes there are some experiences so like climbing or um, hiking and stargazing and stuff like that. But then a bunch of books on there too. Um, do you all know how many books you're going to read on this list? I I don't I I've read some. I just need to go check some off. I don't really pay attention to it I'm because like, I I never have enough time to read the books I kind of need yeah. to read for summer and for school and then do the things they also want me to do. I guess that makes sense. Are you like one of those guys that cares about the points you have in your credit card? Uh, yeah, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this will be my second summer to read all 25 <laughs> books on the bingo list. So <laughs> no big deal. Okay. So flipping nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a podcast about classical education <laughs> with YouTube. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I guess that's a compliment. Okay. So we, so fa- uh, fairy stories um, have this appeal. They've been told for a long time. That's kind of what we get to with, um, so if we if we bring in mythology, um, yeah, Greek mythology. So we essentially have the beginning of um, the written word is is a fairy story, right? Iliad and the Odyssey, um, um, and then much of what happens in Greek tragedy um, is fairy story. So the question we'll kind of dig in, and this will lead us to young adult stuff. Why is that? What is it about the fairy story? What is it about these? Yeah, what is it about these stories of things that? can't happen, but can be imagined that are alluring, that um, bring people back to either tell these stories or read these stories. Life is hard and boring. You want to say more? I, I mean, that, like I said, there's an element of escapism, right? Yep. You want to, so th- I think there's a few benefits that come with fairy stories. So one is you just don't, like the day-to-day stuff, for me, that's grading papers and sending emails and the best part of my job is actually interacting with students, but there's a lot of tough parts of my job. And I imagine the same is true of farming and the same is true of being a clerk and the same is true. Like life is just difficult. And after so many years, having some sort of escapism is awfully nice. And then with that, that escapism comes kind of a, a low stakes way to talk about moral questions. And I think this is especially true in science fiction where you can kind of put it in a non-threatening way. This is in a future world. It doesn't involve you. It doesn't involve us. But let's talk about racism, except one guy's a human and the other guy is a bazork zork. And <laughs> it's just, it's low stakes, right? Sure. You don't you don't actually have to feel self-conscious about it. You can just think about the problem. And I think the same is true in fairy stories. Yep. Um, for the classical world and much of the Christian West operated that the world that you could see was not all that existed mm. in creation and that there was a spiritual realm, there was a world behind the veil that at various points would cross over. Um, and so then these stories help um, facilitate, and yeah, like AJ was saying, uh, uh, can tell moral stories. Um, 
And especially for for young people reading these stories, like when you're a teenager, you're kind of going through that point where you're going from a child, which is kind of just reacting to the world around you and learning about things and asking why. And when you are a teenager and you're growing up into adulthood, then you're trying to come to those conclusions about, okay, is there more to the world than just sort of physical material existence? Is there a spiritual side? Are there, is there magic? I mean, if you want to right. frame magic as, as miracles, are there, are, is there, are there angels? Is there God? Um, and this is ingrained in our hearts uh, to, to ask that question. And these stories stir up, stir that up so, and stir those waters and, and help and sort of get you thinking about these kinds of things. So one, one last thing I'll say is maybe, and, and I'm, I'm reminded of this by Chesterton's book, uh, Orthodoxy. And in that book, he talks about how real life is pretty much magic, yeah. right? You throw, you can, you can literally put a tiny bean in the ground, in the ground <clears throat> and it will grow a plant that grows more beans. Original podcast. That is, <laughs> yeah, it'll grow a nice little original podcast. Pod, it, yeah. it, <laughs> sorry, podcasting. Okay. You're funny. Uh, but but life is crazy, right? Yeah. That the the plants literally drink the light that is coming from space. Like that's insane. Mm-hmm. And that we are kind of big gooey blood balloons that have little sticks inside that keep us from falling over. Like the world is a completely insane magical place. Yes. And I think we forget that as we grow. And then fairy stories help to remind us that that is true. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does. It helps to restore a little bit of the magic that's that is actually in the world around you. You might look at it in a new light. I'm just, I'm wondering if then fairy stories would distract from the wonder in the real world. Uh, Graham's thrown out a quote in previous podcasts about how the I don't know some at some point in the ancient world people would have been disgusted by the idea that we had to make up stories because the world is so wonderful as it is. Like instead of fairy stories, should we be reading about? botany right the 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 magic the mystery that is in botany itself Um, maybe but my inclination is to think if every room in your house is orange the one that reminds you that every room is orange is the room that's green so it has to be a different color it's got to be a different color it's got to be something else to sort of highlight what's actually going on in the room. no i like that so it's almost because we are so exposed to um science and scientism we need something that is magical we need something that is not science to point us to wow the science is incredible is that maybe sort of i'm just saying something that contrasts with the real world and then you walk outside and instead of seeing the plants that you see every day and sort of looking past them you think wow in that fairy story there was a plant that grew to 50 feet tall and you're like "Ah, beans are pretty cool (laughs) right i I don't know maybe it's just me that stories kind of help to break me out of my funk and my monotony i think what you're both talking about is like that there are there's like a healthy way to interact with these things and there's an unhealthy way. Yeah, great. So, I mean, the kid that gets completely obsessed with Harry Potter and is just absolutely depressed that Harry Potter does not exist in the real world to the point where he hates the real world and thinks the real world is, world is bad, is kind of having an unhealthy reaction to these kinds of fairy stories. Yep. I remember, so um, a woman wrote a letter to C.S. Lewis saying, uh, my son is so sad because Aslan doesn't exist and he's just a made-up uh, animal. And, um, and he loves Aslan and then Lewis wrote back and he says, well, he does, uh, the character of Aslan, I mean, is, uh, what, no, what he says is even more important. He says, the thing that your child loves in Aslan, um, is attractive to him because it is who Christ is. Yeah. 
Um, so things that Aslan says and yeah. does are the things that Christ so said and did. In many ways, every fairy story and this idea of a different world, this idea of a magical place, this idea of some place better that you are made for or supposed right. to be in, the chosen one or whatever, is a, um, tapping into our heart's desire for God's kingdom, our heart's desire for heaven, um, um, either explicitly, like Lewis is doing, or um, unintentionally, which is what a lot of fairy stories are doing because the genre is is um, established, and mm. also because it's it's a it's a natural thing. Like we these stories, we you know we want to be uh, lightsaber wielding uh, yeah. space fighter pilots in Star Wars because the idea of of a of a, of a venture where things are at stake and this and this um, more real, more exciting story is sort of deeply ingrained into our into our hearts mm-hmm. i like i like that a lot but you all are also getting to this tension of even in using the term fairy story or in talking about fantasy it it sounds childish doesn't it do you all disagree with that again it can come back to the reaction it can be childish in that if you if you hold on to it and never grow from that but it can be like what AJ is talking about, sort of this palate cleanser where he has childlikeness. So AJ can, the way he's describing- It wouldn't be a change for me, yeah, boys. <laughs> he can go outside and he can look at the world with this sort of childlike wonder where if I looked at the world and I was like, oh, I'm in Texas and there's no Harry Potter here, that is childishness. That is sort of um, this immaturity. Uh, you're letting the story but, um, um, yep. suck you out of the world. And I don't know, maybe it's because I know- where Lewis and Chesterton are coming with their definition of fairy. And I know a little bit of the medieval attitude behind mm-hmm. it, that fairy doesn't really alarm me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know enough, maybe it's because I know enough older dudes that like fantasy, fantasy. books right. that well, it doesn't really bother me. And even Tolkien and Lewis, as they're writing this stuff, are older dudes yeah. who, uh, as they grow older, do not love the fantasy less, they love it more. Right? And some of those great lessons that come down through their fantasy books aren't just meant for Kids. young adults, right? right. They're, meant, they're meant for adults. Mm-hmm. But I guess, but... Early on when we talked about the elements that fall into young adult fiction, one of them was that mystical, magical um, fantasy. Like that is a common genre that is targeted at that age of 12 to 18. But there's something about fantasy that is larger than that. So I guess I'm just trying to find out why that's there. Why is there something about fantasy that is for the 12 to 18 year old? Is there something about fantasy that, um, yeah. Is there something about fantasy that, um, is especially impactful at that time period or is that wrong? Should, should fantasy be the genre and then there'd be fantasy books for teenagers, fantasy books for older people. Is that distinction? Yeah. I think it's just more that, I mean, like, yeah, I I think there is something that when you're, when you're a teenager um, and you're asking, you're at that point in your life, you're asking questions about the way the world is Mm -hmm. and, and what actually is true um, is there something else going on? And so those stories, I think, have a lot more uh, power and a lot more resonance. I think when you're 35, when you're older, uh, you're you know tr- trying to make money, thinking about your job, thinking about retirement, interested in politics, geopolitical affairs. You're huh. looking at spy movies, and you know there's just different things are exciting you. Um, but not but not fantasy, right? But not so but not so much fantasy, maybe. And I think maybe to people's detriment because you've kind of settled your heart and mind on a specific way that the world is and you don't need to have, you don't need to have your, you know, your world shaken. So, yep. um, 
or I think of so like the dwarves at the end of uh, the last battle. What happens to the dwarves? Uh, they're in the they are in the kingdom of heaven, but they are so stuck in their ways that they still think they're in a shed. Like they don't they don't even have eyes to see um, the new heaven. Yeah, I in in kind of I guess in that same vein, I, uh, a thing that people that successful people will say almost as a badge of honor is I don't read fiction. I don't have time for it. I only read. They wouldn't say practical books, but I only read business books. I only read things related to my field. Um, and people normally wear that as a badge of honor that I don't have time for those things, but or maturity or, so, or it's, that's yeah, what, that's that, what I'm mm-hmm. getting at. That, that, that a sign of maturity is not, um, experiencing, um, fantasy, not experiencing magic, not, you know what I mean? Like reading about these things, it's a disconnection from those is in some by some people, obviously, obviously not you two, and, obvi- and, I, and I hope not many of our listeners, but there are some who will see that a disconnection for that, from that is a sign of maturity. Is that, and, and that's, that's Tolkien's argument in this, um, in this portion of the essay. Um, so I'm glad you all are disagreeing with that because I don't think it's true either, but I understand where they're coming from with that in the same way that the, when we use this broad definition of fairy story, you all are reading those in ninth and 10th grade. Those are freshmen and sophomores that are reading those. Mm -hmm. But by the time you get to junior, senior, isn't there less of it? It's not all gone. Dorian Gray has some elements. Oh, it's got fantasy in there. Yeah. Um, But great expectations. um, Yeah. A lot of it is gone. um, I don't know what you would call crime and punishment. Um, Uh, Yeah. Murder mystery. Yeah. So except not a mystery. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, He kind of, they kind of just all lay it out right there. Don't they? Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it's true. But I'm um, saying in, in moving from antiquity to modernity, I think there's all, I think there is also this decrease in, I don't know, that, maybe that's an But then in college, I took entire classes on Lewis and read a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe. He came back to it. And yeah, there's there's fantasy there yeah, for I sure. mean, to, to be had. Yeah. I think, I don't know, maybe the temptation as we get older is to focus on the temporal and yeah. like providing for the family and making money. But I think that can be a, a detriment to the soul. Yep. Right. When your kids finally come and they want to, play magical things with you, right? You may, perhaps you'll find your imagination has languished, yeah, which is a tragedy. But let's, let's take that. So, uh, so one detriment would be in, in telling a story to children, connecting with them, right? They want the, they want something, um, more fantasy to, in, in a story. They want putt, putt the magical donkey. <laughs> or even, uh, so Watership Down, which AJ was just talking about, the author of it, uh, his children asked him for a, a, a story, and I want to say they were on a vacation, and he needed to tell a longer story, and that longer story became Watership Down. That was just him kind of, I mean, obviously edited, but but that's the origin of the story. Is And he could even easily have just told it about people. Could have. Right? There was bad. a war, and they were going to lose their town, yep. but it's way more fun it's so with bunnies, yeah. and it's so cute. This is anyway. It's a really good book. Everyone, um, but and the way the bunnies fight, by the way, is also hilarious. <laughs> I just got past the part where they fought a cat, and that was anyway. Like they describe how rabbits fight. Anyway. They sort of flop around and kick with their back yep. feet, and yep. it's kind of awesome. So, but not so. There's there's that the connection of the older to the younger to the child. But what there are other things that a person misses by not engaging in fairy stories or fantasy broadly. Uh, Tolkien has a few of them. One of them that's already been referenced is, is escapism. Tolkien identifies that as a positive benefit of fantasy. And he has this very depressing analogy of um, prisoners looking out of their prison windows. And like, that's what humans in their jobs are like. And fantasy is this opportunity to like look out the window. Um, it's kind of a bummer, but the analogy makes sense, right? That So if things are not great uh, where you are, or 
even if they're going fine, your life is not as awesome as Narnia. Your life is not as awesome, depending on where you are in the story, as Middle Earth. Like there are things that are better about those worlds that you only get from reading about them. So that's the escapism he talks about. Don't want to push back or comment on escapism. I, I don't know that it's bad. I think it's bad in high doses. There are a lot 100%. of things that are good yep. in small doses and real bad when you take too much of them. And that's, I, I, he, there are large parts of this essay I'm, I'm skipping, but he makes this distinction between the primary world, which is like the real world, and then the secondary world, which is the world of the story. And so the Harry Potter example is great. So people who want that secondary world to be the primary world, there's like a sadness in that mm-hmm. because that's not the purpose of the story. The story should be able to be enjoyed as a, cogent secondary world it doesn't have to be good because it's real it's good because it's a good story and you, you could make that case for the iliad the odyssey beowulf pick pick anything in this fairy story genre or fairy story grouping um i mean one of the yeah i think one of the reasons why escapism gets to be such a corrosive thing in the lives of people is a lot of people don't really see adventure or high meaning in the day-to-day in their day-to-day right. life um and we could go off on a real tangent and talk about how you know the the world that we have this modern world of of catering to our desires through buying and consuming things ultimately is not satisfying for the human heart um so there is deep longing for a unified story for life um uh and and then, so to me, it gets sad that then we come in and we continue to create kind of a, a whole industry around this, like Comic-Cons yes. and Star Trek conventions yep. and and uh, um, where people are coming in and, and trying to give you the Star Trek or the Harry Potter experience. Um, and it gets to this point where... Um, yeah, it gets sort of dark. Uh, because it, it's playing to people's desires for meaning, um, but it is, um, but the the thing itself ultimately is is neutered. It can't give right. you the real satisfaction, but it does stir up your heart that wants to be satisfied. Oh man, you're talking about such a big chunk of the modern world. You're talking about Facebook, right? Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's just yeah. like wanting to interact with a real person. You yep. get close, but mm-hmm. it's not quite the same thing. You're talking about pornography, mm-hmm. which is a you know, bent replacement for sex. You're yeah. talking about like there are so many things that will like even even uh, misguided attempts to recapture youth. Oh, right? Mm-hmm. There there are so many of these things where they will try to sell you as close an approximation yeah. as the as they can to the actual thing, but no one can actually sell friendship. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. True friendship can't be sold. True youth can't really be sold, and you can't get it back once it's gone. Like these and and I, I mean I'll avoid avoid the whole pornography thing, sure. but. Yeah, I mean, you're... But that's why yeah. I like the... So when you talk about young adult fiction being driven by a, com- a committee, isn't that... That's the same idea you're getting at, that it's it's with the purpose of monetize... It's with the purpose of getting money. It's not Tolkien crafting a world. It's not Lewis crafting a world. Um, it's fantasy as a tool. I get right. Fantasy as a means to the end of, of money. Or as a funnel, right? Like at the top mm, of the... You know, sure, it, it's... Sure. it's I, yeah. And that is the dark side of advertising Then the dark side of the modern world is that we are... Um, with sort of the advent of psychoanalysis 100 years ago, 150 years ago, we think about what makes human beings act. Uh, and we, we know it's not, you know, that it's not just our rational functions, that we 
Sometimes we know things and we don't act in the way that we ought to be acting. And there is a whole uh, dark side of our modern world that has come in and can supply those desires for um, uh, that are ultimately unfulfilling. Now, the great thing is, is that you can have fiction that talks about those kinds of things and gets you thinking about it. So, I mean, every year in 10th grade, we read Brave New World yeah. because that is a work of science fiction talking about the sort of dystopian future where that idea of satisfying desires has been taken to a completely centrally organized way. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, I really wonder what Tolkien and Lewis would have thought of kind of the modern um, uh, young adult sort of industrial complex that we have. Yeah. Um, um, I, pro- I don't think it was probably much different back then. They had publishers and they had yeah, but they people didn't trying have, to make money off of kids' books. They didn't have books. Peter Jackson and like, you know... Percy Jackson? No, no, the, 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 the director. The director. Oh. And they didn't have like the three-part Hobbit. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, fair. So maybe... You know, that, that's, that's an example of like just a, uh, a marketing committee coming together and being like, how can we... But if they were living in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, they were still experiencing um, like the rise of cinema. um, And well, Lewis went to go see, I think really famously, he went to go see uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And he sat there and he's like, those aren't dwarves. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. So I think maybe fantasy is troubling when instead of taking the lessons that Harry Potter is supposed to instill Mm -hmm. in the human being, right, that you can be a good, decent person and stand up against evil even mm-hmm. against harrowing odds with the help of your friends right which yeah. is a great it's a great lesson yeah uh instead of bringing that back to your regular everyday life and then integrating a little bit of that magic into your world you think harry potter is the only place where people can be good and have true friendship yep that is the place where i need to be and then you try to convert the regular world into the harry potter world instead of trying to do it the other way well trying to like bring a little bit of harry potter and make the regular world a better place mm-hmm. yeah. uh, one genre that did this probably a little bit more successfully not successfully but could bridge that gap between quote-unquote the real world and the fiction world are like the latter 19th century like frontier novels and western novels yeah. like here is this plucky person who's going west and he's making a name for himself and and you know you you have this kind of um these adventure stories of uh, in this in this era, I'm trying to think of some of the titles that aren't too late. Like Hatchet was a. I'm saying Lewis Lamore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then you know you have that kind of sense of of um, of adventure crystallized in in the you know the early 20th century like uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, right? Mm-hmm. And he kind of typifies this this. Um, Man, don't you guys just want to be spirit. him? Yeah. Like, um, wait, is, except is that for the picture like, of him riding a moose? Is that doctored? No, that I is, no it is isn't not legit? doctored. Yeah. It is legitimately, he jumped He's off legitimately a canoe. He's legitimately riding a moose? Yeah, he jumped in off a canoe and rode a moose. In a, in a, isn't it in a river? That's in a river. Sure. Mm-hmm. You guys. You want to be him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go. Yeah, what is it? Talk softly and carry a big stick? Yeah. Maybe I don't know much about his policies, you guys. Maybe I don't know much about how he treated those around him, but there's some cool things. in him that I don't like. That's what, anyway. His his most famous speech is uh, the strenuous life, and it's the first half of it is this like very engaging like you know yeah I want to take over the world, and the back half of it is why we need to conquer different countries. Yeah, and yeah. It's like oh no well, yeah yeah <laughs> you some, really you really took that to a weird place. Yeah, there's <laughs> really some imperialism quickly, yeah. in yeah. there that's yeah. not that was is uncomfortable. Good. But anyway, my point is is that like it is up to if it is up to the reader, it is up to the person to take the things that they read and integrate that into making them better in this world as opposed yes. to wanting to escape to another one altogether. So let me, um, but the, the scary thing is, is that technology is going to give you the easier path out. 
So, I mean, I think about virtual reality and how many me. how many yeah. kids are going to be lost to whatever virtual reality world can give them what they want without work. And that's, I think a virtual reality is pretty fun though. <laughs> Have you guys tried it? No, no. and I don't want to because I'm scared I would love it. That's so, um, this number is a few years old, but it has not gone down. There are 7 million working age men who um, aren't working that, that goes into the participation rate anyway. So there's 7 million working age who are not disabled, who just aren't working. And I, I worry that it's video games and technology that is um, fostering that. And I, I get scared when I think about what virtual reality is going to do to that number. It's video games and pornography. Yep. I mean, it's, it is tapping into the and deepest it, parts of the, of the, of a male heart for, um, um, you know, purpose and satisfaction. And yeah. And they can be achieved, um, cheaply. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this has turned into a bummer. So let me, uh, <laughs> so let me go quickly. You guys through. magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll try and re-enchant. So there are, so there are four goals of fantasy or four things that fantasy can accomplish. That was broadly a discussion on, um, escape or escapism, which is a word that, um, Tolkien is fine with using. The other three are, um, fantasy, which he will then eventually use the word re-enchantment. And this mm-hmm. is the idea you all have been talking about is that, um, not only are these, uh, fantasy worlds incredible, but the world we live in is likewise incredible. Um, because what's weird is that you can't, um, I, I was not planning on talking about this, but I used to be really into the series called Dragonlance. I don't know if y'all were ever into that. It's really, <laughs> I haven't, but it sounds amazing. It's super trashy fantasy. And, th- um, they have this, um, What's it called when you have notes in the margin? Um, marginalia. No, but there's like a footnotes. But there's like a, they published a version that had the marginalia commentary. Co- yeah, it was the commentary edition of like the original trilogy that kicked off this huge, whatever. Lots of books that I read, lots of. And one of the things in there was about how they had to make this choice of what um, where the sun would rise and fall, and they con- they contemplated doing north and south just to like mess with people, but they realized it wasn't worth the difficulty of like all future books in this series having to remember that the sun <laughs> rises and falls in different places. Um, and so all that to say that in fantasy, there are things that are similar or the same to our world. So if there's a magic in that world, there's a magic in our world too. AJ described it beautifully in talking about like the, the magic that is life. When you think about that of life producing new life, be that, um, in plant or animal or just at any level, there's a beauty and a magic to it that we or can like bioluminescence. There it is That's like crazy. Yeah. Like they're just, there are insane, beautiful, crazy things in our world in the same way that there are in other worlds. And it's not just because of elves and fairies and whatever in other worlds, um, that magic is available. It's, it's here in this world too. Uh, another thing that is, um, provided by fantasy is recovery. And this is another idea you all were, were grappling at is that, um, in fan, in good fantasy, according, you, you said Tolkien, am I saying it wrong? Is it not I'm, Tolkien? I'm no. Canadian. Oh, is, this, <laughs> is it Tolkien? How do you say Tolkien. Tolkien. Okay, good. So um, recovery is the other one from Tolkien that um, in good fantasy, the things that are good are beautiful and the things that are bad are ugly. And there is a clearness and an ease to approaching morals and ethics. And like some of that ease is really nice. Do you guys, so this is a, I'm just going to jump off your thing you just said Uh where good is beautiful and evil is ugly Mm -hmm. in fantasy worlds. Have you guys ever seen the show Adventure Time? No. 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 It's a pretty good show, and it's a cartoon about super, a little, little human f- named Finn and huh. his and his dog Jake, and they go on adventures together, and it's really touching. But there's one part where they see a skeleton who's in this black cloak, and he's like, "Do you guys want some magic rings?" and <laughs> and Finn is like, "Yeah," and Jake's like, "Whoa, whoa, don't go over there. He's ugly." 
what does that mean to you? And Finn goes, uh, he's evil? And Jake's like, yeah, it also means he's desperate. So you can get more of those magic rings out of him. And But it's it's so true. Even in cartoons, you see a skeleton wearing a robe and you're not like, maybe that guy can point me in the right direction, right? He's he's got something sinister in mind, which makes it easier to sort of like learn the lessons. Yeah, and that's, uh, maybe that's part of the allure of the worlds is that they're kind of simpler. And so like, it would be easier to live in the Harry Potter world and go to Hogwarts. It'd be easier to live in the Star Wars world and like, yeah, the Jedi are cool and the Sith are bad. Like, those decisions are made much simpler. Although the Sith always have the coolest swords. They do, yeah. yeah. And there has to be balance. So, are the Jedi really good, you know? Anyway, so. Um, and then the final goal of fantasy is consolation. And this is, uh, I think it's the one part of this essay that I'd heard of before. So, the, the main consolation that Tolkien is talking about is that good fantasy will have a happy ending. And that happy ending, he, he says there's no word for the thing he's describing. And so he invents a word and that word is you catastrophe. And so a, a typical catastrophe is a, is a horrible event that occurs. It's, it's bad. It's unexpected, comes out of nowhere catastrophe, but a you catastrophe is a completely unexpected positive thing that comes and happens. Um, I think of the Eagles appearing out of nowhere in, I think it's fellowship of the ring, um, where they're about to get all blowed up, but instead these, or maybe is that the Hobbit? No, they're burned in the trees. Oh, it's in the Hobbit. It's the Hobbit. Yeah, yeah. Well, the so, the eagles coming in. Eagles and saving come them later, from the, and and, and uh, they come at the end of Lord of the Rings. They do, but they also but they come when the goblins are are, are burn their trees down in the yeah. Hobbit. And, yeah. But so is this just sort of his like easy out? <laughs> it's his eagles, uh, yeah. his what is it? Uh, Deus Ex Machina is just like, <laughs> and then because Bert. I couldn't figure out how to get him out of Mordor, eagles. <laughs> well, I mean, but it works, and yeah, and there's this and there's this joy in that happy ending that. We also have happy endings that we also, um, that there is joy to be had in, in the world, that life is not all misery. Uh, and that, that is a thing that fantasy can remind us of. And this catastrophe, what Tolkien says is that the catastrophe is the thing that pushes through the story and into the primary world. That there's a message behind that that is true and real to us as it is in the secondary world. And that's the thing we should take from fantasy. Not uh, wands are cool, not swords are cool, mm-hmm. but... Um, that that there's hope that that things can happen that are unexpected and um, salvation is, is possible if you want to start using religious terms. But that evil will fall because is. it is blind yeah. to good, good certain qualities of men. Yes, right? well, that's not true of all. Fa- I mean, different fantasy stories will sort of show their cards or show the cards of the author yeah. and their endings. Yeah. So if I recall correctly, the ending of Hunger Games is like the rebellion or the people Spoiler that took alert over for anyone. Yeah, so skip 30 seconds. Um, if you don't want the, the, the people that like took over to restore justice actually end up being tyrants themselves. And Katniss kind of just re- retreats to the woods kind of bummed. Yeah. They, it, th- don't they return to the hunger games as an institution? I think they I want know. to. Okay. So the ending of the third hunger games book. Um, so Katniss gets to the Capitol and uh, coin the leader of this rebellion is, is taking over essentially from president snow um, but Coin wants to have vengeance against the people that did harm to the districts. And so what Coin wants to do is reinstate the Hunger Games for the people who are in charge. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But instead, Katniss, so Katniss is about to be crowned or whatever, about to get some award. Uh, she kills Coin. She kills the leader of the rebellion that she had just been serving um, and throws everything into anarchy. There's also the super bummer part we're skipping over where um, Katniss's sister is killed. Kind of random, kind of unnecessarily. Um so there's all it gets real dark in the third. So, I mean, very dark. And and but 
my but point that is, is the message. I mean, that is the message yeah. is that like, you know, history is just one expletive thing after the other to borrow the phrase that I, uh, I have censored for our listeners. Yeah. Or, um, or that, or that power, whatever the, the trite line is of power, absolute, absolute power absolutely corrupts in. Sure. And then that, and like, and that is that author's view. That is, uh, I think it's Suzanne Collins. That yeah. is, that is the author's view on the world that you see in that moment. Like eat that up kids. <laughs> right. Like, yes. And, and so this is sort of, uh, Tolkien, Tolkien's point is that, um, you, you say what you, I mean, you, you can package or you present the world of, uh, you present the story of the universe, um, of what you think it is through the, your fantasy stories. Yes. Um, and so for people that are, um, you know, for whom the world is just materialist power grabbing, yep. you're going to get the endings That's like the, the hunger story. game. Yep. And for people who think that the world ends with the true King coming back and restoring all and wiping all tears away, you get the ending of, um, uh, Narnia. Narnia. You get the ending mm-hmm. of Lord of the Rings. You get, you get these, um, yeah. But can I exonerate hunger games just a little bit? Sure. Cause it, while it might you can't classify under, a fairy story, mm-hmm. strictly it's a dystopia. Yep. And the job of a dystopia is to be a oh, warning, man. right? It is not to end well. If yep. if it ended well, and it kind of does because she gets the boy and there are some oh, other good yeah, things. Yeah, great, whoop-de-doo. I know, but yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's, and so it kind of yeah. ends well, but the real point of a dystopia is to end poorly as a warning, right? That's Brave New World. Yep. That's a little bit of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, any good dystopia. Uh, 1984. Mad Max Thunderdome. <laughs> Mad Max Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah, sure. None of these are supposed to end with you thinking like, ah, oh, there is hope. It's supposed to be, oh my gosh, if I don't, sure. if I don't fly right, society's going to go screwy. So that's yeah. the, I mean, like, yeah. it's, if, it, if it that's makes the, the right point message. of a dystopia, yeah. then Hunger Games did the job it if that's it. how yeah. it worked. For sure. I, yeah. It's still a bummer. I don't know. I mean, it's depressing. That's the sure. goal of it. Yeah. But she could very easily write another book that had a good ending, but... I, I think if it would have ended well, it would have rendered the whole series pointless. What? It, or know. at least it wouldn't have done the job of a dystopia. Yes. To yes to to, to prove to serve that as a warning. Actually, that bad, and will always be that bad because of something in mankind, right? I mean, that's sure. It makes that point. Mm-hmm. So that is he. There, there's also an epilogue uh, which follows this idea of eucatastrophe. There's uh, so in C.S. Lewis's conversion story, uh, he in his letters talks about how he came to real. So Lewis and Tolkien were big nerds of um, Norse mythology, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And so Didn't they used to read it together in yeah. the original language. Isn't that cool? But yeah. translation is a waste mm-hmm. of time. Isn't, oh, sorry. So, uh, sorry. So they would talk about these translations. They would talk, or I'm sorry, they would talk about these, these works, these myths, but um, Tolkien would um, bring in the, um, the story of Christ, the, um, in using myth, not in a pejorative term, but just kind of the, um, mythical nature, the kind of magical nature of what God did through Christ, eventually leading to Lewis's conversion. Lewis would eventually say that um, Christ was the one true myth, the one myth that became truth. Uh, and Tolkien ends his essay in an epilogue where he expands on that idea that the the, the big U catastrophe that actually happened in our primary world is Christ's birth into the world. And then the fulfillment of that U catastrophe is um, uh, Christ's um, um crucifixion on the cross and the the what is incredible about these stories then is not only those things that happened but it's a myth that we want to be real that is real Mm -hmm. um and that yeah so it's it's a myth we graham was just talking about this longing for myth from the secondary world to enter the primary world and that's actually happened 
And that's that's how Tolkien, Tolkien wraps up the essay. So all that to say, the only reason I want to hate on young adult fiction is that I think that it taps into these deeper things that are not only for children, they're not only for youth, the desire for escapism, the desire for reenchantment. And so to relegate fantasy to young adult, I think does a disservice to fantasy. So that's just one general thought. But then also to misuse those things instead of actually meeting those needs through um, reenchantment or escaping or any of those things, um, uh, abusing the system. But some young adult fiction does a good job. Narnia is one of those, I think. But the, I think. Yeah, I agree. Maybe am I just complaining that new things are bad and old things are good? Like, no, because I'm sure there was some bad young adult fiction then too. And he, it just it just fades away. Yeah, it's yeah, just it, gone just, now. it just doesn't stick. And he he hates on. Um, I think it's Andrew Lang. Um, he hates on a collection of fantasy story or on fairy stories that were popular at the time. That you've probably never heard of. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of nice. Um, most of them are adaptations of Grimm's stories, but like he takes out all the sad parts <laughs> of Grimm and then like packages them. And it's just really funny. Just like I'm wagering that the hunger games, while entertaining, they're not the kind of thing that you keep around and then pass on to your kids. Exactly Cause right. there's a thousand more iterations of it coming in the coming decades. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't serve, it doesn't serve your heart in the same way. Totally agree. So that is everything I have to say about fairy stories and why young adult fiction is bad. Right. Thank you. Well, it sounds like me and Graham kind of <laughs> nailed it on this one. Y'all Didn't really sort well. of y'all guess were, all yeah, the yeah. answers. I think y'all wrote this essay. So Great congrats. Great job, me. And it could also be that we've both read it before and yes. also read a whole bunch of those authors that have to do with fairy stories. That is 100%. what it is. And, and teach those books. That, might that is oh, yeah. probably definitely it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you for listening. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. We all have access to the email, which means sometimes we're confused about whose job respond. it is to write yeah. back. We will. It just, no. one of us kind of has to, you know, get some coffee and have a productive day. Uh, you can also tweet at us at C-L-S-S-C-A-L. Stuff. Stuff. Not at Twitter. At twitter.twits.com. Yep. And you can check us out on our website, www.classicalstuff.net, where you can see pictures of our cherubic faces down at the bottom. Just log into the information superhighway. (laughs) And you you can access all of our episodes there. We are also on Google Podcasts and iTunes. If you are listening on the website and you'd like to get to it a little bit easier. Uh, We... Oh, have we ever like said this officially? We post every Tuesday. I don't know if we said that. I don't know if huh. we've ever said it, wow. but uh, new episodes come out at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays, just in time for your morning commute. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little time for the services to refresh, but they're there. I promise I put them up on at 6. Sometimes Google just takes a little while to realize Actually, it's there. Yeah. Uh, and that's our story. So this is AJ Hannenberg with Graham. Yes. And Thomas. And Thomas. <laughs> and Thomas. Signing off. We will see you next time. Bye. See ya.